Welcome to the NatRef Show, a weekly global podcast on sustainable cooling and heating technologies, brought to you by Sheco and supported by Teco. My name's Andrew Williams, and I'll be hosting today's show from Brussels, Belgium. I'm the European editor of Sheco's industry-leading websites r744.com, hydrocarbons21.com, and ammonia21.com. I'm also the editor of Accelerate Europe and Accelerate Australia and New Zealand magazines. I'm joined today by our North America editor, Michael Gary, editor of Accelerate America magazine, my colleague in Europe, Marie Batesti, from Sheko's market development team, and my colleague in Tokyo, Devin Yoshimoto, our Asia-Pacific reporter. Today, we'll discuss last week's 30th meeting of the parties to the Montreal Protocol, MOP30, in Quito, Ecuador. We'll also discuss the recent midterm elections in the United States and China Shop 2018, held from the 1st to the 3rd of November in Kunming, China. Let's start with the MOP30 climate conference. Marie's just returned from Quito. Marie, what can you tell us about that meeting? So, yes, uh, thank you, Andrew. So um, at the 30th Montreal Protocol meeting, the, one of the key issues was the CFC 11 increase that was recorded in China, according to the Environmental Investigation Agency, a UK and US based NGO. So the EIA proved that uh, several companies in China are still using CFC 11, which is banned now under the Montreal Protocol for PU foams applications. Uh, so the parties decided uh, to request information officially on atmospheric CFC-11 levels, potential sources of emissions of CFC-11, along with an analysis of current monitoring, reporting and verification under the protocol. The decision also calls on parties to take measures to ensure the phase out of CFC-11 is sustained in their countries and to share information rela- relating to any illegal CFC-11 production or use. So the EIA acknowledged that China uh, was very cooperative and shared information on a nationwide enforcement effort that has resulted in the discovery of two CFC 11 illegal production sites. The NGO asks for further uh, data sharing at the official MOP level between China and any other scientific party, because the EIA acknowledges the data gaps, obviously uh, resulting uh, from an investigating, an investigation undercover. Another key issue for natural refrigerants this time was about energy efficiency. So the parties uh, this year acknowledged the need to uh, support better energy efficient equipment while phasing down HFCs. So the main topic uh, now is about funding, how to stream efficiently funding for all countries in order to accelerate the uptake of energy, energy efficient based equipment. Um, non-HFC energy efficient based equipment obviously so of course natural refrigerants are very well placed Um, the UNDP for example organized uh, an event on the side of the Montreal Protocol meeting about a CO2 transcritical uh, supermarket in Jordan the first of its kind uh, in the region uh, and for example recorded uh, energy efficiency energy gains of up to 30%. So this is a UN implementing agency recognizing the high energy efficiency potential of natural refrigerants CO2 transcritical in that case 
which shows great potential uh, for more projects like this through efficient funding that the parties are currently brain brainstorming on. Okay, so um, at the at the MOP, you obviously spent time speaking to people from the different country delegations, mm -hmm. and how much awareness of the existence of natural refrigerants as market-ready alternatives to HFCs, would you say you saw among some of these uh, developing countries that the funding is targeting? Uh, yes, so I've been attending the Montreal Protocol meeting since last year, and even if it's quite recent, I already saw quite a, a sharp evolution uh, regarding the awareness of natural refrigerants. I see now, like, Last year, it was about awareness raising of the potential of natural refrigerants. And now there's a full recognition of the need to acquire some natural refrigerants based equipment, uh, mostly from my conversations with African countries and South American ones. So um, Africa, African delegates seemed really aware of the need to actually support financially uh, a transition to NatRefs and were highlighting as a barrier, of course, the need for more funding, for more implementing projects, for training of their workforce. On the other hand, in South America, I feel like it's already taken off and there are already several installations with natural refrigerants. I see, for example, great potential for CO2 transcritical technology. Chile has is acquiring more and more, according to the latest that data that was shares, shared at the MOP, there could be nine supermarkets equipped with CO2 transcritical technology now in Chile. Colombia as well is very um, advanced and has already installed a supermarket with the CO2 transcritical technology. So obviously, some would say the climate in South America could help with such technology. But the example that I highlighted earlier on with Jordan shows that even in a warm ambient country, uh, such as in African countries, it's completely doable. In terms of market trends, I've seen more interest for hydrocarbons in Africa, maybe, and lots of projects, well, lots, some projects regarding uh, rack equipment to be changed from, for example, R22 to natural refrigerants. There's a high interest for that. So let's hope that the multilateral fund allocates funding, enough funding for UN implementing agencies to actually make this happen. Because, okay, last comment. Um, in Chile, there was uh, a project uh, to, with um, a supermarket to acquire CO2 transcritical equipment. And the Chile uh, ozone officer really said that it was a snowball effect because the success of this project, the energy, the energy gains as well, um, really uh, opened the eyes of the competition of, and of the supermarket as well, who decided now to change all its commercial systems commercial refrigeration systems, either new or old, to CO2 transcritical. So the, those kind of projects actually matter because you can train the local workforce uh, and maybe create a snowball effect. So you, the UN has a real role to play in here. Okay, and then a final issue in some of these developing countries that the UN's looking to support with their transition away from HCFCs and HFCs is safety and general awareness of the risks and safety measures that can be taken to mitigate those risks in using A3 refrigerants. Mm. Was this a topic that was addressed at the MARP? 
So yeah, so first you need to, we need to acknowledge that uh, safety standards are independent, uh, it's uh, private, and of course um, the, 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 the nations can influence uh, the setting of standards, but it's something uh, that is independent. On the other hand, um, states can decide to adopt a standard into their own legislation to, you know, uh, harmonize the safety, uh, the safe use of uh, such refrigerants. So in that case, for example, the European Union uh, stressed in plenary the importance uh, for scientific and technical bodies of the Montreal Protocol to publish a tabular uh, assessing the all the safety standards existing in the world for such refrigerants and highlighting the need to update them, uh, the fact like if they are obsolete or not for a wide uptake of A3 refrigerants, so namely hydrocarbons. The EU also stressed an interesting fact, um, asked for more technology neutrality for the update and assessment of safety standards in order to support a wider adoption of hydrocarbons, acknowledging that they were a really um, one of the few long-term future-proof solutions to actually comply with the objectives of the Montreal Protocol and the Kigali Amendment. So it's an interesting take for such an important uh, delegate as the representative of the European Union, asking for a more serious revision of safety standards globally for A3 refrigerants. So the international community had already called out China on the CFC 11 issue at previous meetings of the parties. Um, and China had been expected to come to the table in Quito uh, with at least some level of acknowledgement that it was taking this matter seriously. Uh, would you say that that was the feeling among delegates at the MARP and what kind of commitments has China made uh, to sort of deal with this situation going forward, if any? Well, the actual decision was to submit the official data uh, for the next MARP, which will take place next November uh, in Rome. Uh, but so far, to be honest, I felt like it was more statements acknowledging the seriousness of the issue, the commitment of the government to catch those rogue companies. Uh, there were some little fights around data and the accuracy of uh, the NGO data compared to what the Chinese government had gathered. But overall, there was a consensus on the need to adopt an official uh, disposition to provide objective data from both from all parties. So I guess the take-home message and the final decision for that is wait again until next MOP, but at least things are moving forward and at least there was a, a global acknowledgement of the seriousness of the issue among the parties, um, which because China received lots of funds from uh, the multilateral fund to phase out CFCs, therefore it could really jeopardize the credibility of the multilateral fund and therefore ultimately harm as well natural refrigerants who benefit as well from these funds. So nothing concrete yet, but there's a, a movement now. So January uh, is the date, this, this coming January, the Kigali Amendment will go into effect for ratified countries. I think there are about 60 or so countries that are ratified uh, right now out of uh, close to 200. Was there, was there talk at the meeting about trying to get the remaining countries to ratify? 
The president of MOP29 urged the remaining parties to take their disposition uh, with their constitutional law in order to adopt the Kigali Amendment so they can move forward and go to work. So I felt like there was kind of uh, an acknowledgement that it was a matter of uh, procedure, but there was a, a wide recognition that the Kigali Amendment would be adopted by all parties. There was no really, um, yeah, there was consensus on consensus on that, really. Uh, and for example, the US, which didn't ratify yet the Kigali Amendment, was still very active in discussing about how to fund the multilateral fund and continue to participate into the HFC phase down. So it felt like even from the United Nations for the Environment Protection, um, they considered that it would be adopted soon. Yeah. And anyways, the Kigali Amendment will enter into force. Uh, but indeed, it's important that the, the, the countries participating to the Montreal Protocol or comply and adopt an accurate legislation. So it's still key to monitor, I guess, especially for the US, which is a big market. So I know. Well, I don't, I'm not so sure they're going to ratify it, at least not while Trump is around. Um, but uh, it'd be interesting to see how many ratified by January, because that's when it goes into effect. Yeah, we need to. I know that uh, Switzerland adopted it uh, during the last week, during the MOP. So even uh, countries uh, complying with HFC phase down rules in Europe uh, are late in the adoption. So. Yeah. Okay, so well, while uh, delegates to the climate conference were busy in Quito, the attention, uh, media attention in the US was captured by the midterms. Um, Michael, perhaps you could briefly uh, summarize what happened and why this could be of interest uh, for followers of natural refrigerants and uh, climate and uh, environment policy more generally. Right. Um... So, right, last Tuesday was a very important day. Um, the midterms election, midterm elections were considered uh, really crucial uh, in the U.S. Uh, as a reaction to the Trump administration. And indeed, the Democrats uh, succeeded in ga getting power back in the House of Representatives. Um, so they will now serve as a check uh, on the Trump administration. Um, because the Republicans weren't really filling that role. And um, this, this is important for many reasons, including environmental, uh, because the, uh, the House of Representatives will be able to investigate and oversee what's going on in, in terms of what the EPA is doing, rolling back many of the Obama-era uh, regulations. So, so it'll be an important oversight capability now from the Democrats. Um, but I think in more directly uh, pertaining to natural refrigerants, um, there were uh, three Democratic governors elected in the uh, midterms uh, that have said that they plan to join the U.S. Climate Alliance, which is a bipartisan coalition of governors from 16 states and Puerto Rico, all of them committed to reducing uh, short-lived climate pollutants, including HFCs. So... Um, those governors are the Tony Evers of, Mich of Wisconsin, J.B. Pritzker of Illinois, and Gretchen Whit Whitmer of Michigan. Uh, so the U.S. Climate Alliance formed last year in reaction to the Trump administration pulling out of the Paris Accord. And these, um, the states that are in this alliance committed to implementing 
policies to advance the goals of the Paris Agreement, notwithstanding what's going on in the federal government. And there were um, some leading states like California, New York, Maryland, and Connecticut, where I live, um, have already specifically um, committed to reducing HFCs, California being the leading state in that regard. Uh, but these other states, so there are now four states in the alliance that have specifically committed to reducing HFCs. The alliance as a whole is committed to that. So these, the, these new um, Democratic governors that have just been elected are going to join in that effort, which is very encouraging. Um, and the alliance has said that they, uh, a strategy to reduce HFC will promote more energy-efficient systems, which, of course, includes the natural refrigerant. So there were some positive news um, in the midterms for the environment and for natural refrigerants. Uh, there were some setbacks, uh, but the, the biggest setback was in Washington State. The carbon tax there failed. But I think overall it was a positive, positive outcome. So ultimately, can we, we, we know, and listeners to this show and uh, followers of our Atmosphere conferences will know well the uh, leadership role that California has taken on HFC management in the U.S. Do you think coupled with, with these other states now getting on board with that and uh, potentially a more uh, progressive house on climate issues, can we expect HFC management to feature a bit more strongly in discussions on environmental issues at the political level uh, federally in the in the United States. Like how do you see this playing out now over the next couple of years of the Trump administration's term? We're not going to see much progress federally because Trump is not does not believe in acting on environmental concerns. Um, but what's encouraging uh, and what, what we saw in the election is the growing power of these states to act on the state level and collectively as states. Uh, I mean, there were 17 uh, in this um, climate alliance. Three more will be joining. Uh, so, so that's going to represent a uh, an important, um, you know, backstop to um, to what's going on at the federal at the federal level. So, no, we won't see federal progress, but we will see more state and state progress and we'll also see more oversight by the by the house of what's going on okay so it'll be interesting to to keep track of that then in the in the months and years to come thanks michael for those insights over now to devin who'll tell us about natural refrigerants at the china shop trade show which was held in kunming earlier this month devin this is devin reporting for sheko we just got back last week from China Shop 2018, which is one of the largest trade exhibitions for the food retail industry in China. Uh, this year, the exhibition was held from the 1st through the 3rd of November in Kunming City, China, which is the capital of China's Yunnan province. One of the biggest themes that we noticed this year was the large, large emphasis placed on the growing demand for fresh food, especially by people who are uh, living in China's uh, largest cities, uh, which is increasing very rapidly every year. And we also saw a large amount of uh, excitement and discussion about the uh, investment into the food retail industry by the largest e-commerce players in China, such as Alibaba, WeChat, 
uh, JD and Suning, which is driving a lot of change in the industry. In terms of developments with natural refrigerant technology, uh, we saw a number of companies, a number of local Chinese companies, taking some significant steps forward with developing CO2 technology in China. One of these companies is Xingxing Refrigeration, uh, which was exhibiting a CO2 transcritical rack system that used parallel compression and uh, ejector technology. We also saw Higher Carrier, who was exhibiting a CO2 uh, outdoor condensing unit. And when we spoke with them, they told us that they also saw a lot of interest in the system from uh, local convenience store operators and that they saw a lot of potential for pushing CO2 technology in the Chinese market over the next few years as well. And speaking about um, R290 systems, we also saw um, Austria-based uh, leading supplier of R290 plug-in cabinets, AHT. Um, they were exhibiting for the first time at their own booth this year at China Shop. Uh, they've exhibited before uh, in cooperation with other uh, suppliers, but they told us that this year they wanted to be more visible directly to their customers. And this year they were exhibiting all R290 systems and that the customers that they were speaking with uh, were mainly interested in these systems because of the high levels of energy efficiency uh, that they were able to achieve. HT was also exhibiting a water loop system, which they told us they see potential for in the Chinese market in the future as well. Both AHT and Xingxing told us that they were watching developments with the IEC charge limit, the possible increase from 150 grams to 500 grams. They're watching that very closely because this increase would help them develop uh, their R290 systems at a much lower cost. And finally, I just want to mention at the end of day two, of uh, China Shop, we were able to take a tour of a research and development uh, facility for a company called Dongqi Technology. Dongqi is a local Chinese manufacturer that has been working with CO2 for a long time. They're one of the leading suppliers of CO2 heat pumps in China. Um, but at the R&D facility that day, they were showcasing for the first time their recently developed CO2 transcritical booster rack system, uh, which they were aiming to supply towards the food retail market in China. So there were definitely a lot of developments with R290 and with CO2 that we saw at the show this year. Um, <clears throat> this all comes at a time of a very rapid growth for China's food retail market and a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty, especially with these new uh, players coming from e-commerce, uh, coming into the uh, brick-and-mortar retail business. And also with the uh, phase-down of HFCs and... Um, the growing emphasis on uh, fresh foods. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot going on uh, in the food retail market in China. So we're really yet to see uh, what will happen with natural refrigerant technology in this market. But still, there's a lot of developments with local Chinese manufacturers uh, investing in this technology in order to be ready for the future. So uh, we'll see what happens. Make sure to pay attention to our websites, r744.com and hydrocarbons21.com, and also subscribe to our newsletters to stay updated on uh, what we find out. Thank you. Thank you, Devin. That brings this week's podcast to a close. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to tune in next time for another great NatRev show. <laughs>